Thank you for the opportunity. Romans chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. Romans chapter 5. As Pastor and several mentioned, yesterday when I got up and I walked outside and the wind was blowing, uh, Mr. Don Payne said he saw some people with sweatshirts on in Florida. He said, it's not going to last, but you got that feeling of fall. And it kind of went along with what I was going to ask is, what is the greatest feeling in the world? Now, we could list a bunch of uh, different uh, situations. I wrote a few down. Taking your shoes off after a long day. At the end of a long day, you take your shoes off. It's a good feeling. What about climbing into a freshly made bed? You get nice, smooth sheets. Or that, or going to bed when you can sleep late the next morning. You know there is nothing to do the next morning. On those nights, I usually stay up later than I should. Um, how many of you would say the greatest feeling is that first sip of coffee in the morning? Warm sip? Okay. That's a lot of people. Wearing a jacket for the first time in winter. Some people love that feeling of putting on a sweatshirt. I, I thought about this one. I, I saw this one. When you drop your phone, but you catch it at the last minute, right before it was going to go in the water. Or when you find extra money in your clothes. I found a dollar in a, in a drawer the other day. Super excited. We have all sorts of feelings or situations, but we could probably group all these into categories. And I was trying to think, what is the greatest feeling? We, we have love, feeling of love, just that warmth of either showing love to somebody or, or receiving that love. It, it feels good. Or we could, uh, the feeling of surprise. How many of you hate to be surprised? You don't like, how many of you love it? You love it when somebody surprises you. You love that feeling when someone surprises you. Or maybe uh, you like the feeling of happiness. I think a lot of people would say this is the greatest feeling. Whatever makes me happy, that's what I'm going to go after. Whatever I can do to make me feel good, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm, some people like this one, fear. They love the feeling of fear. They just get that adrenaline rush that they're going to ride this roller coaster because they love the feeling of fear. Now, probably not most of us. What about this one? Anger. You know someone who's like, they're not happy unless they're angry. Unless something is going wrong, then they're not happy. And so I, th I grouped all of these, but I, there was one feeling that I think we could argue is the greatest or one of the greatest feelings in the world, and this would be the feeling of relief. So let's, let's demonstrate. Everybody take your fingers right here and start to pinch your arm. Okay, don't do it too hard. Don't give yourself a mark. But if you were to do that really hard, pinching your arm, after like a couple minutes, maybe even seconds, you're going to just want to stop. And that feeling of removing of pain, it's relief. Or anyone have a migraine? You've ever had a migraine? It's so bad that all you want is just some relief. You lie down or you take some medicine and you drink water, but you just can't find relief. Or when you're running and you, and you get so thirsty and you're, you're just dying for some water. Or you drink too much water on a long car trip and you need to stop. <laughs> we, could all, we could all agree with that one. Or if you're on a long bus trip as a, as a high schooler and... You just, we're not stopping. We're on our way. We've got a three-hour trip. But that feeling of relief, any discomfort or pain or situation that puts us under pressure throughout life, we just long to have some relief. 
Everyone take a big, deep breath and then let it out. There you go, just relief, that calm, peaceful quietness. Well, today I want to look at this truth that from Romans chapter 5, God provided relief from the power of sin. This relief that God provided is one of the greatest provisions in Scripture. We're going to read Romans chapter 5. And as a Christian, this should be one of the greatest feelings you've ever experienced. The relief from sin that God provided at salvation. So I'm going to read Romans chapter 5. And we're jumping right in the middle of one of the greatest theological treatises that, that Paul wrote. Displaying salvation. So Romans chapter 5, we're jumping right in the middle. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. Romans 5, starting in verse 6, the Bible says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The first thing we see from this from Scripture is that you needed relief. So our first point is why you needed relief from sin. And he lists four reasons why you. Now he's not he's talking to the, the Romans, but ultimately he's talking to all humans. He, he's telling he's talking about you. This isn't just about the worst sinners in the world. He's not just talking about the worst dictators or the worst murderers or the hatred or the ones who are uh, who hate everyone or the leaders or the adulterers. He's talking about you, and he lists four characteristics, four descriptions of what you were before Christ. Look at the first one in verse six. He says, "For ye were without strength." The first description of you before salvation was without strength, strengthless, strengthless, weak, sick. You had an illness that could not heal. There was no medicine, there was no doctor that could come in and relieve you of this strength or this weakness. Spiritually, morally, you were dead. You were completely helpless. There was nothing that you could do to save yourselves. He says you were without strength. Now, when he uses the word helpless, this is not as if you had run half the marathon. You've gotten halfway to God and said, okay, God, can you send Jesus to carry me the rest of the way? It wasn't that you had climbed half the mountain and you needed Jesus to come and take you the rest of the way. No, you hadn't even started. You were completely helpless, without strength. You could do nothing. So that's the first description of yourself. Without help, without strength, completely helpless. Then he says in verse 6, at the end of verse 6, he says, We were without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So you were without strength, and then he says you are in ungodly. 
You were wicked, without any form of godliness, destitute, void of any irreverence of God. You condemned everything that God stood for. Ungodly, without godliness, no trace of it. So, that, so we're, we're off to a really bad start here. We are without strength, we're ungodly, but then in verse 8, it says that while we were yet sinners, without strength, ungodly, a sinner, the word sin is breaking God's law. Previously in Romans 3.23, he says, for all have sinned. And when you sinned, it means that you came short of God's perfect standard. Here's where God's target was, and your arrow came short. And whether you hit the ground, I don't know if you've watched people with bow and arrows, but if, if the bullseye is the center red target, whether you shoot it way up into the sky or whether you shoot it right in front of you or behind you or the person next to you, or you get it within one centimeter, the Bible says you have missed the mark. And so when you miss God's mark, you've missed the perfect standard. But he doesn't say you just have sinned. He says you are a sinner devoted to sin. That is your life goal, constantly breaking God's law. And in Romans 6.23, Paul later says that the wages of sin is death. So because you have sinned and because you have devoted your life to sin, you deserve death. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You are enslaved, separated from God from eternity. So he's talking about you. Why did you need relief from sin? You're without strength. You're ungodly. You're a sinner. But look in verse 10. This is where it really hits me. For if when we were enemies... He calls you the enemy of God. You weren't just this passive bystander who fell into sin. You were a hostile character acting against God. You were the adversary of God. You were on the same side as Satan, fighting with Satan, saying, God, I hate what you want. Okay, so that's a bad place to be. So I think it's easy to see why you needed relief, why you were under the pressures, the slave. You were a slave to sin. You were without strength. You were helpless. You were ungodly, a wicked people showing no respect for God. You were a sinner, broken God's law, separated from him, deserving of death, and you were an enemy, a hostile adversary against God. That's a pretty morbid thought because that's talking about you. It's talking about me. But here is the beauty of the gospel is that God comes when we are in that point and he shows his love. God's love displayed. So we see why we need relief, but God's love is displayed as he relieves us from the power of sin. Look in 5, 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, he says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, the perfect time, that says in due time is the right time, the perfect time. When was this? The time when you were helpless, ungodly, sinner, and enemy of God. God says, okay, this is the time. Freedom is not free, though. For Christ to set us free, 
there's always a sacrifice that's required. And God's choice to relieve us, the freest from sin, required a sacrifice. And it, it, was, it was pretty unusual. It wasn't normal. Look at verse 6. I'm going to read that verse again. It says, For when we were without strength in, two, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And just that little phrase is shocking enough, but he explains why in verse 7. He says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. I'm very thankful for our military. Anyone who serves in the military and sacrifices their life for me, I'm thankful for that. I don't deserve it. And there's a lot of people in the United States that you see that are not deserving of our military. But yet they still fight, they still sacrifice, even for the undeserving. It's, it, but he says here that for a righteous man, scarcely, rarely, I mean, with di- difficulty, it takes a lot of thought and compassion. Some, yes, they run and say, I'm just going to join the military, but the thoughts to sit down and say, I'm going to give my life for another person, he says uh, in verse 7, yet peradventure, possibly, that's what the word means, possibly, I mean, if the circumstances are right, I mean, if, if I have to, I would give it for a righteous man, but God forbid I would give it for an evil person, someone who's done me wrong. We were neither good nor righteous. Actually, we were the complete opposite. We were the opposite of righteous and good. We were ungodly, sinners, enemies of God, helpless. And we get it confused because many times our human love is dependent upon the object of our love. So if they love us back, okay, I love them. If they're friendly to us, I'll be friendly to them. If this thing or this possession brings me happiness, I'll keep it. If not, I'm going to get rid of it. And so the trap is that God only loves us when we're lovable. But it's never true. Because we were helpless, enemies of God. And God loved and died for you at that state. That's where he comes in in verse, verse 8. It says, but God. See, in verse 7, it says, rarely, possibly, would you die for someone good, but God, he's different. He, he's different. God commendeth his love. He introduced, he demonstrated He showed us his love. How? And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This love had nothing to do with how lovable we were, how beautiful we were, how much we were going to make God happy. Yes, we would glorify his son in the process, but it, it had nothing to do with us. The selfless, undeserved love was completely beyond anybody's imagination. So if this was the end of the story, it'd be a pretty good story. Here comes Jesus to rescue those who were helpless, enemies of God. He saves us, and he says, all right, I've saved you. Now get out of here. You messed up one time. Now don't do it again and get out of here. But that's not where the story ends. See, when God provided relief for us, he didn't just 
relieve us from the pressures and the power and the enslavement of sin, but he gives us something in return. Look at verse 9. God did not just save us from sin and send us on our way. He gave us more than freedom. He says in verse 9, much more than. He says what's about to follow is more overwhelming, more significant than what I just told you. Now that's hard to imagine because what Christ did for us by dying on the cross in and of itself is great. It's awesome. It would make for a great epic, but he didn't stop. Verse 9, he says, much more than. He says, you thought Christ dying on the cross was good? Well, wait till I tell you what else he did. Listen to this. God did not just die for us, save us, send us on our way. He gave us a whole new mass of benefits. He gave us three that he mentions here. The first one in verse 9, he says, a new forgiven life. He says, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That word justified. We could preach a whole year on that word, but it means that you're not just this whitewashed sinner. You're not just a painted over previous sinner. He takes away that old life and he gives us a new life in Christ. He doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Because before, you were helpless, and you had no ability to overcome sin. You were without strength. But now, when you've been saved, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us of sin. He's the one that points us to the Word of God. And so no longer are you in shackles, blinded by sin, sitting in a dungeon with no ability to save yourself. Now, you have the Holy Spirit constantly pointing you back to Christ. You have the power to overcome sin. You have a forgiven life. But also he says at the end of verse 9, he says, We shall be saved from wrath through him. You have no fear. You're no longer a slave to sin, and you're no longer having to fear the punishment of sin. You were saved from wrath. We know God's holy. Never could he let sin into heaven, and his wrath rests upon those who have rejected Christ. And centuries before, those who have rejected Christ are now experiencing the wrath of Christ. But those who have believed in Jesus, you were justified. You were brought into the family of God. He didn't just save you and say, now get out. No, he brings you into his house. He calls you his son, his daughter, And now you have full blessings in the house of God. You don't have to be afraid. There's no fear. You don't have to worry, okay, uh, is God going to, is he still mad at me? Is he he still uh, questioning whether I'm good enough to get into heaven? No, because there's no fear of losing salvation. Look in verse 10. He says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, By the death of his son. He's talking about the the moment you received Christ. At that moment, you were your relationship with God was restored. He says, if you if the death of Christ can bring you to God, don't you think it can keep you with God? The second part, much more. 
much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Those who doubt and say, maybe I could lose this fellowship. I could lose this uh, reconciliation. I, I could lose my salvation. He says, if the power of the cross brought you to God, it's going to keep you with God. We don't have to live our life in fear. Yes, we will mess up. We'll mess up every day. But we don't have to worry and fear, oh, did God kick me out of his family? Because Christ loved us when we were helpless, ungodly sinners and enemies. We can never be more wretched than we were before. That's why he uses that word enemies in verse 10. He says, if you are the enemy of God and he reconciles you to himself, don't you think now that you're a family member, he's going to keep you? We are now the sons and daughters of God, and we don't live in fear. It's not a license that you can just do whatever you want, but it's comforting. And then verse 11, it's more than just freedom from sin. He didn't just uh, say, hey, uh, here's, your, uh, here's your new life, now get out of here. He takes away the power of sin, and he gives us new fellowship with God. Verse 11, he says, and not only so, he's like, not everything I just said before, but there's more. He said, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Constant state of joy and contentment. That's what this new life in Christ brings. It brings a constant state of joy. This word atonement, it's the word exchange. He took away your, the, the misery, the misery of sin, the enslavement of sin, the, the complete, utter disaster, helplessness, and he says, here's joy, here's contentment, here's peace, here's a restored relationship with God. That's the beauty and the power of the gospel. So when you come to worship, when you come, whether it's collectively or maybe you're in your personal time with God, you are coming as a previous helpless sinner, enemy of God, who has been restored by God and given new life. How can anything rob you of your joy? Why do we allow the circumstances around us? Because we forget who we are and where we came from. There's many famous people who are humble. And you say, why, why, why are you humble? What, what keeps you, what drives you to stay humble? And they're not brag. And many times they'll say, I just never forget where I came from. You know, I grew up with nothing. I had nothing. Had a bad family life. We were poor. And I don't want to forget that. When you worship God, remember who you were what he did for you, and what you have now. And you'll never be uncontent. The feeling of relief is great. It brings that peace, that tranquility. Everybody take a deep breath and let it out. Yeah, just that calmness. So when you go throughout your week and you make decisions about what is important in my life, what is it that I should be doing with my time and with my talents? Think about the truth that God provided relief from the power of sin. You were a helpless, ungodly sinner, an enemy of God. God shows his love. 
even when you were unlovable and he sent Christ to die for you. And so now you can live a life with forgiveness, no fear, and a life of joy. That's the beauty of the gospel. So we can all leave here feeling relieved, feeling confident, feeling peaceful of what God has done for us.